start. Sooners of Oklahoma at 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another post-game edition podcast of the Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself, Barry, personal trainer and sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Alongside me, former Sooner, wide receiver and 2000 national champ, Mr. Damian Mackey. D-Mac, how we doing this uh, Saturday evening? You know what? I've been firing brimstone. I've, I've, you know, yelled from the rafters. I've dog cussed folk out. Um, we do a pregame show, and in the pregame, I said we'd lose by three. Uh, and I'm not proud of it, but I just feel like there's just too many questions on our team. And we have we have some holes. We have some gaping holes that there, there's just no correctable answer this season that obviously we'll have to get cleaned up in the offseason. And so, I, I, like I said to some of the guys I've been talking to, I'm actually not surprised. That team we just saw win. Uh, although I guess they're what four and six now. Where they, they were three and six going into the three game. They're now six, four yep. and six. They mm-hmm. played TCU tough into the fourth quarter. They played Pitt tough early in the in, uh, first week one. I believe it's week one of the season. It's not like there's t- Tulsa talent over there. Unfortunately, they probably have the best receiver on the field playing for them. They probably they had the best quarterback playing on in on that field playing for them. They had the probably best two linebackers on the field playing for them. So, you know, talking apples to apples, it's not as if our guys played way below their average and and West Virginia played way above their heads. They didn't. They've been in close games all year. They've got some quality guys. Um and when it mattered the most, those key five plays we talk about in games where it doesn't matter the scheme, doesn't matter the call, doesn't matter the play, the player has to make it happen. There's five plays where all five of them, we don't take advantage. It's all five. It's, it's zero to five on plays that matter. Oh. And they they came up spades on those plays. So, man, I, it's it sucks. I'm pissed. But at the same time, I, I know what I'm watching. I've seen this team for 10 weeks now. And, you know, those guys watch film and have good coaches and, and they know how to find a pain point and press it the same way a good coach should do. So, listen, we got to get better. We need to be bowl eligible. That's what matters. That's what matters. They need to have conversations with these recruits, let those guys know what's happening. But listen, recruits can see too. Our back recruits got to be chomping at the bit. Our 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 D line commits have to be chomping at the bit. J- uh, Jackson Arnold, I know he's chomping at the bit. He runs the same offense at his high school, and you, you know it's stuff we talked about. The commentator today literally said, "What did you hear him say?" He said, "The ball needs to be thrown here." Dylan Gabriel hitches, hitches, and then he throws the ball, and it's. It's over and beyond his arm strength. He literally says today what we talked about two weeks ago, and it's like Dylan trying to throw to an area from the hip versus Dylan placing the ball in a place where his his receiver can do something with it. It's those little things that make all the difference. Um, I'll live, B. I'll live, man. I'm to a point where at OU we play for championships, and all of those are out the window. So right now everyone's on an interview uh, doing what's necessary to to see what's going to be you know, their place in the program next season. So, as you said, Sooners go up to Morgantown. They they take their first loss to West Virginia since 2008, DMAC. They lose 23-20. to 20. And some important stats for this game. OU, first one, 1 of 11 on third down conversions. We will talk about it. West yeah. Virginia... 7 of 19 on third down, but 4 of 5 on fourth down conversions. If you all listened to our preview show with uh, Jalen, you would know that we we said a big part of this was was stopping Tony Mathis, stopping the run game. OU held the running backs in check for the most part. I believe it was 30 carries for 76 yards. 
the issue was their quarterback came in, and when their quarterback came in for JT Daniels, who wasn't wasn't playing the, the best game, you had a sophomore in Garrett Green come in there. He threw the ball well, but he ran for, I want to say, 119 yards. Uh, don't have the final right in front of me. Uh, threw for 138, but had some important throws in the red zone. And as you said, it felt like even if you argue he wasn't the better quarterback on the field, which I, I would kind of agree, I would say that he was, he absolutely was the quarterback who made the play when the team needed it most. And we've said that all year about number eight for the Sooners is when they are playing well, when they have a bit of a cushion, he does fine. He, he seems to place the ball a little bit better. He's in a little more rhythm in his drop back. The offense just overall feels a little smoother, flows a little better, and he converts on those. When they are playing from behind, when there is pressure, and we'll talk about this too um, as it concerns me for next year with him, um, kind of just with guys coming in, guys who are looking at this, who are recruits, when there's pressure on him, I don't think he's risen to the occasion one time this season. And there were some conversions out there that needed to be had. You know, on the uh, the field goal, I know that there are people out there, there's fans out there blasting Venables for his decision to kick the field goal. But in that time, he said, for one, the weather conditions on the field weren't as bad at that time as it looked like on TV. And with the way that Schmidt hit the ball, probably an argument for that. But he said with the way they've played defense, not knowing what defense would come out there if they were to punt, and with how OU has been on short yardage all game and then part of the whole season, that's no guarantee. And then you're handing the ball to West V right there close to midfield or at least in, in a good starting field position spot. It's just a, a recipe for, for losing even more. And and really seal in your fate. So I thought the field goal was not the worst decision. Uh, the, the one highlight, as he has been the past few weeks, has been Eric Gray. Eric Gray had a fantastic game, went over 200 yards on the ground, averaged over eight yards. The offensive line has, as we said, they've they've gelled a little bit. They've played better. But I think the story of the game, and you would agree, was. Ball placement on some of the throws by DG and the drops, DMAC. The, the drops felt even bigger this week. We've seen a few of them past couple weeks, but this week it felt like they were the worst drops at the absolute worst times, poor weather conditions. So the first thing I want to ask is when you guys had weather conditions like that, and I know there were a handful of games where, where that was the case how did you manage that, and how did you keep from not being able to convert on important plays? And and as a player, can you just go, well, man, it's the weather, it's raining, it's cold, it's windy, whatever. How would that go over in the locker room? Yeah, so a couple things to think about, B. Number one, we played a lot of bad weather games or cold games or ice games or rain, you know, not, 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 not a uh, kind of a, a tsunami rain game, but, but wet games, we played a bunch. It has no impact on the ball. If the ball isn't also slick wet. In fact, a little bit of condensation is good. It makes the ball stick more. There wasn't an issue of it being sleet. And everything slipping and the ball doesn't have a tight spiral. Like that's when weather is really an issue. Those are drops. And and let me tell you, Farouk had a, a, a ball that I think the, the one uh, DG throws late. It's a bad pass, but Farouk can go back and make a contested play. He doesn't have on gloves. Mims, the drop, the pass he has. They keep talking about his gloves. I'm like, dude, he didn't have gloves on that play. He literally is not wearing gloves. And so because it's wet, his hands are slick and he drops that ball. He needs to have on gloves on that play. I never wear gloves unless it's bad weather. Really? If I Oh, man. I never, I never wear gloves. If you watch my years at OU, I, my game gloves are on my belt. I used to attach my game gloves to my, it was kind of like my own little thing and people started copying it, but. 
I wore my game gloves on specials because I didn't want to mess my hands up. And then I wore gloves only if if it was if it was a cold, wet day and my hands were going to be slick and, and cold where I don't have a good feel for the leather on the ball. Because that's what gloves do. They provide that tact. They provide that consistency. They provide that layer of the ball essentially sticking. And then, and then you go back and watch when he scores the touchdown, Mims, the ones he doesn't drops. Guess what? He put gloves on. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I look at that and I say, and and, and I want to, I want to, I want to take a step back because I think there's one just erroneous blo- uh, drop. That drop is it's the it's a win it's winning and losing football. We lose the game, not because of that play per se, but that play puts us in a position where we're two or three possessions ahead. It's 17-0 instead of 10-0 if Mims makes that play. But we got to go back and start at the top. Our quarterback play, it's he 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 could potentially be the worst quarterback in the conference. Man. That bad. Gabriel. Well, listen, I, you know, I even like the kid in Baylor, and I, I'm looking, I was just looking at his stats. He's got 13 TDs and six interceptions. And I'm not trying to be, you know, I, I'm actually just being trying to be transparent here. I can't think of one play we needed all season that he's made. I can't think of one. I cannot think of a play. There's been, and I got to, I got to take a step back and say there have been a couple of times where there's been an opportunity for him to use his legs on some third downs and some, you know, second and longs. And he's done that, but I'm talking about that's against like KU that's against Iowa state. He hasn't done it in one meaningful game one time you brought up K state and maybe there are a couple of things he did in that game, but he didn't do it when it mattered. I'm not trying to pile on DG, but we did a whole analysis uh, on 360. And, you know, we're talking about the game and what's going on with it. And and I, I wrote like a three-page analysis. And at the end of the three pages, I said, man, you know what's crazy? I didn't mention Dylan Gabriel one time. Like, that's how much of a non-factor he is. Not only is he not a captain, not only is he not a leader, like he's a non-factor. Teams know he's going to miss point blank points every single game and you know we we talk about um we talk about men's drop it's equally as bad as dylan gabriel in a pocket with no pressure and and Mims has a 50-yard touchdown up the seam, which is an easy throw. And it's the right seam, which means as a left hander, he has the angle. He gets to throw across his body. And it's it's what's it's 10, it's five, 10 yards off of him. It's not even close. The ball isn't even close. And you know, we, we that play comes and goes, and we're like, oh man, we missed it. No, that's seven points. The coach schemed up a play, whatever the offense and tendencies that we were using, and we were we were doing pretty well in the running game. We did well in the running game all day. So because we were able to run the ball, right? The the backers are staying up closer to the line of scrimmage. We run an RPO, and he looks like he's going to cut across the formation, and he just dashes up the up the hash. That play is designed to score a touchdown or to be a chunk. We, you know, there aren't very many touchdown plays, but they're chunk plays. That play is designed to be a chunk play, and we can't even get the ball on the receiver. And there's no pressure. There's no pressure, Barry. There, it's not like he had to make a snap decision and and because a guy is in his face, it's like, okay, is he sticking it for a skinny post or is he staying, you know, is he gonna halo it and stay a little wider up the up the hash, kind of like a true, like a true inside fade? It didn't matter. He could have took one of those hitches he's known for taking. He could have took an extra hitch and throw a nerf, and him and Mims are in the end zone doing a dance, and his stats look good and but we don't even get close. Like it's not even close. That that's equally as bad. That's an, that's an equally bad play. Mims gets you know beat up because he's been in a funk the last three or four, two or three weeks, dropping balls, and he needs to catch the damn ball. But gosh, your quarterback, your starter at OU, the coach schemes up a play that's an easy touchdown. We got to make the play. We got to make know, the play. And, and it's. There's a level of frustration that that can has to creep in, you know, with with receivers and, and guys catching the ball. 
you know, players like Gray who are have in his case, he's made himself some money, you know, the past four weeks. He has really, really played well. And the ground game was good enough and schemed up well enough. And he and even Barnes got going to some degree. You know, the offensive line moved West V around a little bit. And they don't have the same talent, but historically, West Virginia has had some pretty good talent across the defensive line. And and OU played well there. They just could not convert when it mattered most. When and the penal the penalties added up. You had the uh, down in the red zone. Uh, you had the offensive pass interference, which was a, a huge call. And Lebby talked about it in, in his post game situational football. This team has struggled more than probably any other team in the Big 12 all season. I, I don't even know if it's close. That OU has yet to really win a close game, right? That that I can think of where there wasn't some kind of cushion at some point. I know the Kansas win was by 10, but that one was, you know, it wasn't as close as the final score made it seem. And the offense has some talent on it you you've talked about it online offline you know harrison has done a pretty good job this year he, he's upped his stock um, maybe they're not the best in the interior and that has to get better but you still have quality talent that with just a a, a subtle upgrade at quarterback and if you have somebody elite then it's a totally different season but just an upgrade there and you change the outlook of the team. So, so I'm, I don't think let there's going to be. Let go, me say go, this. Ahead. Let me say this. go ahead. Let me say this. When we go by position group, here, you know, I hear a lot of people, the O line, the O line, the O line, the O line. But here's the deal a respectable or, you know, just an average. By the way, average for OU is not average for other teams in the conference, but an average OU receiver group, this is below average. The average OU running back group, this is below average. The average OU quarterback group, this is below average. So it's like everyone keeps bringing up the O-line. Like they're this big eyesore. And I'm like, we've got one of the best yards per carry. I think we lead the conference in rushing. Mm -hmm. Like I said, our guys aren't physical, but I got to pay a little respect to the point of creating game plans where we get guys in positions to cover up defenders our our offensive line is good at doing it no one can no one can discount that we know if we go against uh a ut they got some grown men uh up front and they're gonna punk our o-line because our o-line is kind of soft and we know they're kind of soft because you said it on plays that matter third and short fourth and short goal line plays we can't get the ball up the field because all of our old line are getting cross-faced the same way when we're in short on defense all of our d-line are getting pushed off the line of scrimmage so that that's that's an issue in itself but i look at this offense and i'm like i don't have an issue with the o-line I, I i they're not they're not playing championship caliber football but we please gotta talk about receivers and your number one guy is dropping the ball we and blocking some on the edge. By the way, we've gotten better. We've cleaned that up a little bit. I told you they changed mm -hmm. how they're blocking. They're beating the guys to the angle and they're stock blocking versus how they were trying to do it before. They're swinging the gate. But uh, our receivers got to get better. Our our uh, running back group, it's gray. And then it's a bunch of pups and, and guys who just aren't playing at the caliber or use, uh, uh, you know, accustomed to playing at. Our quarterback is, is he's he's. Man, I don't know if I, I don't want to sound emotional, but I think he's the worst of the bunch. If we put position groups versus the conference, yeah, our our receivers are middle of the pack. They're middle of the pack. Farouk is a stud in the making. You know, Mims is for as bad as he's played. A, a bunch of teams would love to have a Mims for sure. Uh, you got you got a Drake Stoops who's going to catch the ball, get where he needs to go. You know, Drake Stoops plays yeah. winning football. That he played well. Is, yeah, it's a mediocre group. It's not a, it's not outstanding, but it's mediocre. O-line, we probably have the best left tackle in the league. Um, Again, we're not amazing across the board with the other guys. Wanya's kind of tapering off a little bit, man. I'm concerned about him. Um, I think he's worried about trying to get to Sundays. And I'm like, bro, you you, you, you probably went from a third, fourth rounder to a fifth, sixth rounder the way you played since KU. So you may even be considering coming back. 
But quarterback, let's just let's take two minutes, Barry. I want to take two minutes. Let's just go through the conference. And again, I'm not saying this because I think Dylan, he's a bad person. But here we go. All, 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 all teams healthy starting quarterbacks because clearly somebody's some teams have backups now. But let's just start. Let's just start at the bottom. Do you take Dylan or I mean I guess we got to pick JT Daniels even though Green is the reason we won. But do you take Dylan or JT Daniels? Uh, I I would to me <laughs> that's probably a toss up with the the, the season. But I I would per- personally probably take DG. I'm taking DG over Daniels. I'm okay. taking DG over Daniels. I'm taking right, DG. Yeah, over I'm with However, you. based on today's game, there's no way in heaven I'm taking DG over Green. Green's an athlete, man. And he and he can the things we asked Dylan to do, I think Green can do. So so let's just say that one's a wash, right? Because I've definitely taken him over their starter week one, but Green has clearly shown himself. I wouldn't be surprised if the next two years he's the incumbent. So let's call that one a push. Mm-hmm. You taking DG or Sanders? Sanders. You okay, so let's just get a couple of them out of the way. Yeah. Is it safe to say TCU, uh, Texas, um, KU starter, uh, OSU starter, K State, K State starter and yep. backup <laughs> and backup. <laughs> yeah. Is it safe to say those five guys I'm for sure taking over our starter? Yeah. I mean, that's why they're the top half of the conference. Right. And then, so then you say, okay, Iowa State, probably I'll take DG, right? Baylor, like, again, that's like, uh, Baylor, you know, shaking. But it's like, what does shaking look like with our team? You know what I'm saying? Versus the team he has. What You know, shaking made some moxie plays. Yeah. He did. You know? But, I, you know, I let's just say it's DG. Let's say DG over Baylor's quarterback, DG over Iowa State's quarterback, I'm sorry, I'm not taking DG over Green. I mean, I, I know I said at the beginning the premise was the starter, but like if the backup is a better kid, and I think the kid Green's gonna play more than the rest of the season and probably be the incumbent next year. I, I gotta take Green over DG. Who does that leave? I'm I'm not taking him over Texas Tech's quarterbacks, neither of them. Tech's quarterback is gonna be a problem in be that a final game. Serious problem. Oof. That's gonna get be problem. rough. I, right, I so I'm, yeah. Oof. Position groups, I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I we throw a lot of shade at the old line. They're they're a fun group to make fun of, and they've got a couple of guys who probably should be rotating more, if not, you know, you know, giving up snaps to younger pups. But at quarterback, the most important position on the offense, we don't even have a quarterback in the top five in the conference. When's the last time that was the case? Jeez, uh, it's been a long time. Uh, and even Trevor Knight had, I mean, if you're talking about comparable, I think DG and Knight, we probably wouldn't have said it at the beginning of the season, but I think it's pretty comparable, DMAC. Well, I, here's, the, here's the thing. Knight's a much better athlete. Oh, for sure. He's, he's much more explosive if things break down. DG, if he gets going, he's got, you know, he's a 4-7 guy probably. But he's a four nine five flat change of direction in the pocket. Yeah. I mean, Baker could run circles around him in the pocket. You know, oh, for and sure. That, yeah, and so that is a huge, that is a huge uh, error for him. And then he, his pocket awareness is also probably below, way below average. It's, it's just bad. Yeah. It's below average, and it's too. It, it's so formulaic. Yep. Like it's almost like he's running the drill. As opposed yep. to moving fluidly, like when you go watch an Arnold, there's very little, there's so much variability in how he can move. And that's what makes the elite mobile guys really good is you don't know what direction they're going to go with him. There, there's some level of prediction and you can play the odds. 100%. And, and oftentimes he he picks the wrong decision. Today, we give up two sacks because he wants to he doesn't know what's behind him, and then he kind of tries to peek back so he can leak to his left versus just step up in the pocket. Just step up in the pocket. He steps up in the pocket. He He's a threat to run or pass, but he's also looking upfield and can make a play you know, anywhere on the field, but he literally ducks his head and hopes to leak, and he runs right into two sacks. So not trying to beat the young man up. He's got to play better. Listen, we're what are we, five and four? Is that right? Yeah. We're five and four, man. We gotta we gotta be honest with ourselves. Like I don't want to hear or no five and five. 
Damn, are we? Wow. So, yep. man, we're a 500 team. I don't want to hear the community who says, Mackie, you're overreact. No, I'm not. We're five and five. Ladies and gentlemen, this may be the first losing season since before Bob Stoops, my freshman year, 1998. This We're, we're staring it in the face. We lose one more game, and this will be the first non-winning season since then. There has never been, we have never had a non-winning season since Bob Stoops came. And we're staring it in the face. And here's the part. I don't think coaching is the main problem. We'll get to that in a second on defense too. You, there's the, Any rational human being who understands football cannot sit here and tell me coaching is the primary issue. VV needs to go. This coach needs to go. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some changes when you have a five and five season at a school like OU, there's probably going to be some changes. Rumor yeah. has it. There's some changes around the horizon. We've got a We've got an interim in at receiver. It might be a season where we say, hey, man, thanks for the help. We appreciate you stepping into a hard situation. And, and you know, we'll write you a great recommendation, which I don't think he'll be pissed, right? He, he had an opportunity to show what he can do. He's going to have some options. There are a couple coaches on defense where you say, okay, what if we tweak this, switch that, right? There, there's probably room to maneuver and, and bring in some new blood in that area. So we'll keep we'll keep our ear to the floor on that deal. But when the people tell me, oh, man, the coaches, I'm like, dude, you're just acting in emotion. We drew the play up great. The guy missed the tackle in the hole or dropped the ball or we had three defenders to get when 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 you run a quick screen and it's three on three. So let's just do some simple math, Barry. We're doing a quick screen to the to the boundary. There's three receivers and there's three DBs. Go, or, you know, pursuit is there's three on three on that side. How many guys can catch the ball? One. Okay. So how many people are left to block? Two. And how many defenders are in the vicinity at the, at the snap of the ball? Three. It should never work. The screen should not work. The screen should <laughs> not work. Like that's not coaching. Coaches, the football is a numbers game. You put the number of guys to the strong side of the formation versus the number of guys to the field side of the formation, and you and you play angles. Football is literally geometry. You tell this guy go to inside out. You tell that guy go outside in. You tell the other guy to pull the trigger. There's nowhere for the player to go. Now, your Jimmys and Joes got to out-athlete the other team's Jimmys and Joes, and that's what that's all about. Like that's that's the game. We're watching it and, and it and it looks like gladiators and we're all excited because they got these pads and stuff on. But at the end of the day, everyone's running to an angle. On offense, you're trying to break the angle, or you're trying to, you know, you're trying to out leverage the angle, kind of like war. And, you know, on defense, you're trying to close off all angles and, and force the guy into your help. Like that's the game in a nutshell. And 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 so many times every play, by the way. I'll ask anyone to show me one play today where they out scheme us. By the way, I'm lit like one huge play today. And I'm not talking about a, I'm not talking about second and three and the backers bite on run and they throw a 12 yard crossing route and we tackle them for a 17 yard game. Salute. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a key moment in the game where our guys are schemed out of position or into a bad area or into a mistake. Then flip flip the dang car to the other side and say, how many times did a, did we scheme ourselves into what should have been either an easy stop or a touchdown? And then talk to me about coaching because it's literally, we out scheme them. There's five or six plays where they're literally just out schemed. There's a, there's a blown coverage. There's somebody running free. We broke a tendency and we don't make the play. Or we've got a guy and we, we've overloaded the side and all we've got to do is make the tackle and we don't make the play. Guys, that's not coaching. But then they're going to say, oh, but what about it's the 11th week of the season? You know, blah, blah, blah. well, OK, you go to a school district where, the, where you, you, you want excellence in teaching. And take the remedial class that for the last four years has had a 10 percent success ratio in passing the state standardized exam. And then expect them to meet the standard of the kids who are not in a remediated class. Like, that's not fair. You got the, you can have the best teacher in America and you put that best teacher in the remediated class versus people who have a, you know, the kids who have traditionally scored standard or above. Like, 
those kids it, it's a bigger it's a bigger arc they have more area to improve there's much more they don't understand or know where they need to practice and have preparation right that's sometimes a three four five year gig and i only know this because i was a teacher and a principal i'm just saying we have a group who's been mentally fractured we have a group who are not very talented and we have a group who is you know the the tape doesn't lie man they're soft mm. They're not overly aggressive and physical. Put that group with the best coaches in America. I'm definitely not saying Coach V is the best coach in America. But let's just say Saban gets those guys and Venables gets Saban's guys. Do we expect all of a sudden that Saban's going to have a, you know, I think they're they're eight and two now. Do you think Saban's going to be eight and two with our guys? And then and then Brent's going to be, you know, five and five with Saban's guys? No. Because he wasn't. Right. So He literally you know, that, wasn't. That part just... It's emotion. I get it. We're mad and we got to be mad at somebody and the coaches aren't getting these kids to deliver. But at a certain point, when Danny Stuntsman's standing in the A gap with the quarterback and he's got an inside shoulder free on the guard that's trying to tackle him and he just misses, that's Danny Stuntsman. When, when Mims runs a, a skinny post and there's no pressure on the quarterback and we throw unadulterated to the scene like he's running an outside leverage scene that's not the coaches that's the quarterback or, or, and obviously when Mims drops that TD when 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 Woody is one-on-one perfect coverage we just don't make the play right I think Morrison had the same thing a quarterback throws up a 50-50 ball our 50-50 balls we never come down with them most often than not the other team's 50-50 balls they come down with them or get a penalty that's just your dudes those are your dudes yeah so you know that that coaching piece i'm probably i what did i text i said i'm probably not going to make friends today because everybody's pissed off but like nah man this game more than any other game any other game this season the guys were in the proper places to make the plays we missed and then we talked about it a little bit off air that is that's not stuff that that is fixed in one off season because so much of that is up to the player. That is the type of stuff where you go out and you work with someone, you get with your position coach and say, you know, coach, I, I what do I need to get better at? And you devote time on your own getting better at those things because you don't get enough reps in practice to to really improve on the individual skill piece right that's why when you see a high schooler who has those moves who has that in his repertoire that is because he has had the chance to work with people or or his dad or his you know whatever you know mom who who knows but th they have had the ability to to perfect those skills or at least get them to a point where now you go to a place like Oklahoma you can you can work on the details. The issue is they can't even get into the details because you have so many players who have not had that development. We've heard the stories coming out in terms of, you know, film watching, individual work, and that is not uh that is not nothing. In my opinion that that is a lot because you you don't magically show up to the game and all of a sudden have the ability to do something you've never done. You have to practice it. You have to practice it well, and you have to do it a bunch in order to get good at something. That is why the development arc is a thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a thing. If if you could just learn something, you know, in one off season, improve something in one off season, you know, then anybody and everybody could do it. But that's not how it works. The second piece to that is athletically. You have to, as a coach, be able to evaluate how guys move in space on high school tape, and we have not seen that bear out in every single recruiting class, DMAC, since 2019. I'm, I'm going to save Billy Bowman and Woody Washington. I cannot think of any player currently on this defense who was in any of those classes, which should be the bulk of your players at this time, right? You have 19, 20, and 21. You don't have a single player out of that class who has overachieved 
in terms of what you thought they could be and what they are now. And I, I go back to 2020 when we want to talk about, you know, is it coaching? Is it players? 2020, OU starts off one and two. They they have the loss to Kansas State. They have the loss to Iowa State. It looks like an absolutely failed season. Well, by mid-year, they get a couple players back. They actually get three. They get Trey Norwood off of injury. He comes back. You get Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield. So now you have another plus NFL caliber back in your backfield, right? And then you get uh, Ronnie Perkins, who comes back for the Tech game. Now you have added a an NFL caliber defensive end, like a, like a a player who was actually picked in the draft. You put him opposite Isaiah Thomas. You already have a Winfrey who's developing. And all of a sudden, your defense is better. Did the coaches... Redmond's a DN that year. You got Redmond coming off the other edge. When there you go. DN. There you go. And now you have you have created something where now the offense has more guys to account for, right? If if players weren't critical to the game, there who would care where you pick in the draft? If players did not matter and if coaching was the end-all, be-all, the draft would, would be pointless. It would just be a random mojposh, but it, it's not. That's why defensive ends, a shutdown corner, a, a backer who can move and, and take away space, those guys are so highly coveted because one guy, DMAC, one guy on your team who is who is a pro perennial pro bowl player at the NFL level can alter your franchise. You can build around that guy. Who on OU's defense right now could OU build an elite defense around? Uh, one guy, Billy Bowman. There you go. And then he's been hampered by, by injury this season. So, and I've, I've said this all off offline, but the, and me and Roy talked about it on the interview as well. All of these players who are making an impact, I'm not saying the evaluation sucked, but Perkins, who's gone, was a Mike Stoops guy, but Jalen Redmond, who's still here, who was supposed to be your impact player, Mike Stoops evaluation. Um, Brian Asamoa, who should have been here this year, was a Mike Stoops evaluation. Um, Trey Norwood, who was impactful in 20, Mike Stoops. I'm trying to think who else is currently on the roster that is still Deshaun White, who's been a relatively good player, a part of that Mike Stoops class. There is not one. Billy Bowman and Woody Washington are essentially it defensively when you're talking about guys who consistently do their job, uh, uh, move in space like a guy who should be playing on a Brent Venables defense should move. You don't have it across the board. And it's also not, you know, part of this, as you said in the preview is teams have just figured out that they could run on Oklahoma. But if you just go by the numbers, OU's pass defense in the big 12 statistically is middle. Of the, it's right in the middle of the pack. Their run defense is last. It is atrocious. And you look across that front seven and it is just absent of guys who can alter the game. So, so you have that. This is where the recruiting is is so important. I want I want to ask you uh, about that. Just to kind of go off a little bit. Yeah, the fans now are concerned that the class is going to fall apart. There's concerns that guys are going to be the looking at this, saying they haven't improved. It doesn't feel like they've improved. And and why would I go there? Well, what would you say to to that sentiment? I would say that as fans, we are more invested in the week in week out, um, you know, happenings at Oklahoma than the recruits are. When when I when I committed to OU, I think they were five and six my senior year in high school. And again, I had offers to USC. I had an offer to, this is after my knee injury. So after my knee injury, I still have an offer to USC. I still have an offer to Fresno State. I, and by the way, Fresno State's really good at that time. I still have an offer to Washington State, right? Uh, and then, of course, I ended up, uh, you know, getting my offer back to Stanford. But I had I had kept my, I, you know, I told, you know, Blake that I was going to come and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to break my word because that was my word. So when we think about the season, 
We're invested in last winter, last spring. We're invested in, in hearing all the good stories about who got better over the summer, who got stronger, faster, right? They did that whole kind of, um, you know, the boxing, you know, the day before the fight kind of mentality when they did all their testing and they had the guys come up and it was a, it was a whole charade. We're invested in that. The recruits aren't. Most of our recruits are, 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 are in the middle of playoffs and, you know, they're, they're trying to get their seasons figured out. They're trying to get their, their senior years completed. They're not watching our games like we watch our games and analyzing. If anything, a Texas will tell you this, an Ole Miss will tell you this, uh, an A&M will tell you this. If anything, they're seeing opportunity. So when you look at a guy flipping, a Colton Vasek, when a Colton Vasek flips, it's because he was never 100% solid. He was a guy who got caught up in emotion. And went against his entire community in August. I said he's the most important recruit because symbolically he's basically telling Texas, like, we're you're our little bro. Right? We can come in your backyard and take one of the best kids. That's why he was important. Obviously, Texas is outplaying us this year. And so kid has every opportunity to flip because he was never a hundred percent solid, right? All these people. You know, are texting like he was never going to come here. No, he was going to come here. We just needed to win. We needed to win him over. But you look at the lion's share of the guys in this class. They're not like, oh, my God, we missed a field goal. And because they missed by three inches and then their guys, how about how about ours missed by three inches and they're made it by three feet. I don't want to go to OU anymore. That's not what's going to happen. Now, there's probably two or three other guys. By the way, I said this against when we lost to K-State, I said it. The first loss of the season, I said, hey, look, you know, we lose a couple games. Don't be surprised if a kid like Colton Vasek, right, because that guy wants that guy got caught up in the environment. He wants to win. And Texas is showing that they can win. His daddy went to Texas and he lives in Austin, Texas. I mean, it makes sense. But for the community who's saying, oh, my God, we're going to lose half our guys or, you know. That's just not, there's no precedent that says top 10 classes turn into top 30 classes because you have one bad season. Those guys don't come to OU if Coach Venables isn't a good pick. And this isn't like, you know, protect Coach V. This is just, it is what it is. Those guys pick this school because they know, you know, they expect, they see what the expectation is going to be in the, in the, in the weeks, months, and in, in the seasons to come. So, I, I think there's probably another, you know, decommit or two on the horizon. I have no inside information. No one's told me any of this, but you just know some guys are are just superficial guys. They want to be a part of something that's winner. They're front runners and 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 that's okay. Here's what I do know, Barry. Here's what I do know. The day Vastic decommitted, our coaches weren't crying with their tail between their legs. Our coaches, this isn't the last crew where we've got four or five really high-end recruits and then the rest are, you know, D-leaguers. That, that's not, that, I'm not seeing that mentality. What I'm seeing this group collection of coaches do is grind harder. And so, one, I expect the vast majority of this class to stick together. I really do. Uh, obviously the, the most important recruit is, is J a uh, Jackson auto needs to be competing for the starting position Absolutely. In, 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 in January, they need to be, they need to make Dylan Gabriel compete with him in every off season rep, every off season gasser, every off season weightlifting, every off season COD drill, every single drill, because, because I just don't think Dylan's a good competitor. And I, and I see a lot of competitor in in uh in in jackson but uh barry as it relates to the recruits i'm not saying you know let's take our head in the sand and assume everybody's gonna sign the dotted line because there's gonna be some surprises and by the way we may get some surprises but i am saying uh on the flip side that these guys came to play with these coaches and the worst thing we can do as a program, as an organization, as essentially a billion or a multi-million dollar company is what we are, is say, hey, let's go take crazy pills and fire, you know, one of the best defensive minds of the last 20 years or fire, you know, an offensive coordinator who was on the, the short list of who's next up to be a head coach. Mm -hmm. I promise you, 
you're not going to have an easy time getting the next guy to come if he thinks that's the kind of way we treat, you know, our own. Brent Venables is considered our own. Jeff Levy is considered our own. So when you're wondering, hey, can we go out there and get, you know, one of these top shelf, you know, coaches, Kirby Smart didn't get treated like that when he went six and six. That's right. Arada didn't get treated like that when he went like two and seven COVID year, three and six or something. Right. Like, you know, you got to give these things time and flat out. We got to get the guys to run our offense the way we need it. What was Saban's first year? Seven and five, seven, seven and, and six, five, like, seven and six. Right. You know, like, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? And I want to go back somewhere because I'm I'm kind of on my soapbox now. But here's the other thing I want to make sure we discuss as it relates to coaching versus playing ball. This time of year, it's really after you asked me this during August. You said, Mackie, how does it go in terms of competition? I said, yeah, man, the first two weeks, first 10 days of fall camp, they're going to go good on good. And guys are going to have an opportunity to take positions. After that, it's generally done. Maybe by week, maybe a pup or two, or some guy comes off an injury or a light bulbs come on by week. There's another opportunity for some guys to make some, you know, to, to, to make up ground. But, but, but Barry, the plays we're missing in practice, they're not tackling to the ground. In practice, they're not like cross-facing, you know, separate and then ram your, your face mask into the chest of the ball carrier or the quarterback or or the left tackle or that or that tight end. They're not doing much, if at all, any of that. What coach is checking to see is if you know how to do all your cues because you train all year to do that on Saturdays. So when a guy like Stuntsman or a guy like DU or a guy like Broyles, people ask like, how do they? You know, how do they get so much run? Why do these guys get to play and practice? They're not having to tackle to the ground. All they're doing is coach says, hey, on a snapper ball, the guards are going to cross your face. What do you do? And, and, and if you can tell them what to do and if a walkthrough, you can hit your proper gap. And if on scout, when you're on defense and there's a scout offense, if you can just go to your respective hold, the coach assumes you're going to make the play based upon play design. They're not going to ask. I mean, maybe Danny does need to do that 10 times this week in practice and say, actually finish and get his face, get his hand across. Cause I haven't seen a backer get a head across their face across all year. Man. I haven't seen them. Uh, uh, um, White's done it a couple of times from cheetah, but like, I haven't seen one backer. What a head across means is the running backs trying to go one direction. You beat him to the spot and then you take the angle away by sticking your head across. You literally cancel him. That's how you get a boom hit. That's how you knock people backwards. That's how you get in a position to form people and you butt hits the ground first, back hits the ground first, head hits the ground first. It's called, you know, a form tackle. You want to cross their face. It's a term we use in football to eliminate a blocker or eliminate a ball carrier. They're, they're done. They're done. We just don't see it. So when when I hear people talk about coaching, but Mackie, you know, did it like, dude, the guys clearly know how to do it. They just don't do it when the lights are bright. They clearly know how to do it. They're clearly doing it against our, our Iowa State. They're clearly doing it against a KU. So why are we scared when we play against equal or greater talent and our guys are now timid and soft? That's not. Something like you said, you can't fix that in nine months. You can't fix that in 10 game weeks. No. The easiest way to fix it is to go recruit guys who on film consistently do it already. Now you don't have to teach it. It's innate to them. The yeah. easy way to fix it is to have two or three guys developing behind who are ready to go. And you say, hey, bro, you you, you know, you get one or two mental busts or loafs or soft busts. I'm, I'm pulling you out. Who, like, I, you know, who are you pulling 28 out for? 28 goes out. Who's going in? Jeez, I don't know who who would would they move twenty three over? But I mean, okay, so then who plays twenty three spot? Jeez, then you're bringing in. I guess it would be thirty seven, or, or they move twenty five. Uh, not twenty five. God, man, I don't know seven how they 20, would do seven or thirty seven. Right? Seven yeah, thirty seven or thirty seven. Okay, so twenty three comes over. By the way, twenty three plays on Will last week. Yeah. Against against BU, I think he played a couple snaps yesterday or today, actually. Even I think two or three snaps. He's out the Willie Backer, but what has he shown us on film the last three years? We've seen him at Willie Backer. We know what he can do at Willie Backer. It's it's not impressive, right? And by the way, how long have I been yelling that? Try him at Backer and then move seven in, and but seven hasn't flashed. Seven hasn't flashed since the preseason. 
So, excuse me. Yeah, Nebraska's preseason. Yep. Right. Ten flashed for for ten flashed for one quarter in a in a in a romp against Texas. Guys, ten got a tackle today. Ten got a tackle today. Go. It's a kickoff. Ten gets a tackle on kickoff. It's the kickoff after the one they get the break before halftime where we should have played complimentary football and kept them stuff so they don't even try to go get points and we give it up and get it to the 50. The kickoff after that, go watch 10 and, and how he gets his tackle on kickoff. I dare you. That that doesn't invite me to say, let's take 10 and uh, put him in put him in there at middle backer. He's light in the ass. He gets he 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 gets run over as his tackle. That's his tackle. And by the way, no shade to him, man. He he sticks his nose in there. We need it to happen. Salute yeah. to him. But I'm watching that play and I'm like, yep, he looks like a safety. Yeah, that's the development so, piece. Exactly. That, and, and but guess what? I think he's gonna have some bite in him in a couple of years. Or you know, even in one more offseason, he get he, he gets a year older, he gets a little bit more grown man girth to him. He obviously hits the weights, more comfortable, right? Some of those guys are gonna clear out, he's gonna have to step up. I think he's gonna be okay. I think he's gonna be a player. I don't even think he's gonna be okay. I think he's gonna be a good player for us. My point is all this heeing and hawing, I had to have a come to Jesus meeting. I'm like, why am I screaming? Who can come in for two? Yeah, there isn't anybody. Yeah. There's nobody because Coach Venable sees the same film we see. If there was somebody, they would have put them in the game. Mm-hmm. We got to burn a shirt if he goes down, for sure. And by the way, Kip Lewis played today. Oh, obviously, he played today. I don't know how many games he's played. He may already be burning his shirt anyway, and if that's the case, that just means he's not physical enough in practice, but maybe we need to give him a chance to do so in the game because there aren't options. 13's out. Roof is out, Right. Backers are not a plenty. We got to go win in the portal. So I, I just wanted to bring that part up. And it, it gets not to like make excuses for coaching, but like I want people to know in practice, it's not like these guys are going full speed, cross face and tackling to the ground this part of the season. You just can't afford to concussions. You know, you got you're banging each other. You got arms, you got hands, all that contact, man, it's injuries. And you, you just can't afford to do it, especially when I wouldn't be surprised, Barry. If they just thud all week because they have no depth at the position, Man. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I wanted to I wanted to make sure that isn't lost on people. Don't have the expectation that on Tuesday, Wednesday practice, these guys are like they're killing it in practice, but not showing up in the game. Nah, not likely. Coach is asking them to show, hey, show me where your fit is, right? Thud up real quick. And that that's pretty the extent of what's happening. Sorry to be long-winded about that, but I no. wanted to make sure we touched that. Yeah, go ahead, man. No, I, I think to put a bow on it before we close out today, I, I think OU is is a 500 team because they are a 500 team. I think this is the talent level and depth, too. We talk about the guys who are behind the guys of a middle of the road to bottom half of the Big 12. That's why... They go play their 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 non-con. They do well. They look good. You know, they play a Kansas who's right there with them. They look good. You know, they they hang in there with the West V. They almost beat a Baylor. They beat an Iowa State. I think it's I think they just are who they are. And to to expect them, I think that the talent level was just overestimated. The the guys who were lost in the offseason. Now that we're in, you know, week 10, week 11, it's just, it, it was not taken into account as much as it should have been. And I think this team just is who it is. And if they improve, uh, we talked about off air, you, you add, if you were to add and just one elite player at each level of the defense, you change the, the entire dynamic of the defense. Yeah, yeah, I got I got to interrupt you real quick. You go ahead. I got to throw this stat at you. This is for all of the Sooner Nation. Please listen up. I I just I knew this in my spirit. I said, let me look this up real quick. You ready for this? Go. Longest consecutive winning seasons. Longest consecutive winning seasons. You ready for this? You ready for this? And, and, And this point is just to be made in how good we've had it. Here at Sooners. All right. Mm-hmm. These are the numbers. The number one since 1998, Boise State. Oh, yeah. 24, yeah, yeah. Con- 24 consecutive 
winning seasons. Number two, Oklahoma. Wow. Not Bama, not Georgia, not Clemson, not Ohio State. Right? All these teams that right now we're seeing and we're, 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 you know, we have, you know, recency biased for. You, you ready for number three? Number three. 20 seasons, Wisconsin. Holy cow. You ready for number four? Hit me with number four. Oki Light. Oh, uh, yeah. They, State. Yeah, they talked about that today. So, so you ready for number four? Who do you think number five is? Ooh, let's think. Number five, who would that be? Oregon? It's it's not. It's it's Alabama. It's Alabama. Okay. But just 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 let's let's just look at that. You know what I'm saying? Realistically. It's been 23 years since we've had a non-winning season, which by the way, it's still mathematically possible. I don't think we get there. I think I think we finish up six and six, and that's the best we do. I do. I, I don't think we lose one of the next two games. Dylan Gabriel is a shell of himself. I think he's scared on the field. But we're sitting here crying about our coach. We're sitting here crying about our situation. It's been 23 years since we haven't had a winning season. And the, the teams that we are dying for, by the way, you know who number five is? Number five is Clemson at 11. Man, which is really Look, just when they got BV. Oh, snap. There's a correlation there, isn't there? There There's a you correlation. go. There is a correlation. And by the way, this is just numbers. So when I look at this, I say, you know what? There comes a point where sometimes you got to strip it to the studs. Mm-hmm. You got to strip it to the studs. I don't think Lincoln made a mistake when he looked at his, you know, they, the coaches have those, uh, they have whiteboards now. It's not a chalkboard, but they got the whiteboards with the magnets on and they're looking at all the returning players. And I'm sure he looked at his returning talent and said, ooh, I can get this quarterback to come with me because I got an all-time, all-time rack quarterback. The rest of these guys are just Jags. They're just guys. I, there, there's there's a correlation there. He's not leaving if he's got studs all over the place. He's not leaving if his recruiting class has turned out to be anything. He's not leaving if they had stacked talent. I firmly believe that. You know why? Because he said here at Oklahoma, we can't compete by because of what? Players. Mm. His words, not mine. Right? So I'm looking at these state data points. And I'm like, man, it's been 23 years. Guess what? We need a reset. I think we got the right people in place to reset to get the ship turned around. Now, year two, Barry, year two, if it looks like this, I'm going to go apeshit. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the test. The ne- next year will be how they play in those first three and then those first couple non-conference games. We'll, you know, we'll have the schedule sometime in December, so we'll know what it looks like, but Man, the, the next year, if you continue to see it, then you can start hollering for coaches saying, hey, we need to have some movement there, at, at least at the position and coordinate coordinator level. But I just don't think we're there yet. No, nah, we're not. We're not there, and, and the talent's not there, and the leadership's not there. The depth is not there. The coaching ain't perfect. They got to do better, too. They got to do better as well. But like, man, when I watch the games, the plays are there to be made. We got to make the plays. And for me, that's what it boils down to. That Football is 11 on 11. Coaches are the facilitators from the outside. Players are the executors. They've got to execute the play because when they don't, things like today happen. And because things like today happened, they got to go one and one. These next couple games, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If they want to go to a bowl game, you have to get a win against Oklahoma State or Texas Tech. Preferably both, but we'll see. If you all want to stay in tune with what's going on with the Sooners, make sure to listen to the Barry and Mac show. We do a preview, a post game, interviews with other sites, interviews with former players. We got a great interview with Roy Williams up. That thing is going to be timeless. It's a classic. Make sure to go listen right now. Also, go check out Sooners360.com where there's recruiting news, discussion, information about the team that you will not find anywhere else. Just saying. Go follow the social media at 
Barry and Mac SHW on Twitter. Damien's is at D underscore Mac 13. And you can find me at BWISE Fitness at letter B W I S E Fitness. And the Instagram is at The Barry and Mac Show. Make sure to go leave us a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. DMAC, you got anything else for the people before we close this thing out, man? Hey, man, let's just hold tight. Let's stick together. Um, this is an unusual feeling for us. We get it. We understand it. Uh, these young men got to improve. Uh, the coaching has to improve. The program has to get has to get its feet under itself and, and uh, get better as well. But, man, this ain't the end. This is not the end. I wanted you guys to know that all the programs that we are looking at today have been through times very similar to this non-winning seasons. It happens to the best of them. And Oklahoma, Oklahoma football will have its day again, for sure. Thank you guys for listening to the Barry and Mac show, and we will see you soon.